0: Would you turn with me, please, to uh, Genesis 22, and I'd invite you to come back you know, this evening. We're certainly not going to uh, wear this thing out. Uh, it's This is a part of uh, about an eight-part uh, series, Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering, a burnt offering upon one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his ass took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said to his two young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and will come again to you. Watch that. Will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Picture Isaac carrying the the wood. And he, Abram, took in his hand the fire and the knife. They both went together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, uh, my father, here am I, my son. You hear that? The old man answers so gently each time. But ready. Ready to do. And so it is his son, Isaac, says, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the offering? God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And I won't won't touch this now. Did you notice the double entendre here? God will provide himself the lamb, my son. All of those, terribly significant. So they went ahead, both of them together. They came to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound, 120-year-old man, tying up a young, strong guy. Think about that one. Bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar. He's going to pick him up. He had to have some help from his son, didn't he? Laid him on the altar upon the wood. Then Abraham put forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He's made the decision, this is going to happen. I'm going through with this. Can you imagine? That's my, that's my son. That's the promise. All of the promises of God hang on this one, and he said to murder him, and he's made the decision to do it. God doesn't answer prayer a day a day early or a second late. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, and you you maybe heard preachers read this. Call from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. I don't think so. <laughs> Abraham, Abraham, he's got about seven-tenths of a second to get the word out before the kid is dead. Urgency, but on time. And he said, what? Here am I. I'm your obedient servant ready to do. And he, God, said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, a male goat, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram. This isn't bad English. He went and took. So he went, and he took. He untied him, and he brought him out for a purpose, and he leads him over to the place of execution. He went and took that ram. I mean, can you you imagine a little bit of the feeling of the father whose son has just been spared, and the substitute is here? Wow. And he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide Jehovah-Jireh, as it said, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And I think I'll stop reading there. Massive problems preaching the passage. Because it is so sparsely written, so sparely written, there's nothing excess here. I grew up in the RP Church, grew up reading the Bible, hearing it, taught, you know, Sabbath school, juniors, vacation Bible school, church camp, family at home, all that. And I read English pretty well. And I found out I was blessed when I got to seminary. I'm a lousy linguist. And it was word at a time. And the scripture became much richer. You can read this as just kind of a, you know, a, a little news blurb or whatever. <clears throat> and that's kind of how I always did it until I got down on you got to look at this word at a time. <clears throat> there are a couple of different ways to do this, and I want to do them both. <laughs> so we'll, we'll come back this evening and hear a more systematic approach. Look at the text with me. After these things, some people would say, this is myth, lie, legend, and what? If the account began long ago and far away, what would you expect? Fable, story, legend, lies. This has historic context. After these things, this. This is historical record. This is data, information. God tested Abraham. Well, God tested him. We have tests in life, don't we? It hasn't all been easy. Abraham was tested far more than you and I have been. I don't like the translations. I think, again, there is uh, Hebrew, it's not a pun, but yeah, double entendre. It says, uh, God says, I see that you, I think that's reflexive. You see. You've learned something out of this trial. You learned you believe in me. You learned you trust me. You have learned that I am a generous, gracious, life-giving God. And haven't our trials so often brought that out? I need to be brief on that. We could all talk about the hard things that we look back on and see they were good things. They were blessings and that's true of us as a denomination, it's true of America, it's, you know, all of that. God tested Abraham for Abraham to find out what he really believed. And God had not intended that that son would be killed, but that Abraham would learn. He had to give him up. When he had the knife in the air, he had given up the son. And that was what the Lord was looking for, for him to recognize his own faith. I like his response. Here I am. God says, take your son, your only son Isaac. Well, some people have said, well, obviously this is not true because he had another son, Ishmael. Why was Isaac his only son? The only son by the right woman. And the only son that answers to Genesis chapter 3 is at verse 16, the seed of the woman. His ancestry takes him back to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Ishmael didn't have that. Ishmael's mother was an Egyptian. I think I mentioned that last week. Ten gods, ten plagues. And then Ishmael's mother Goes back to Egypt to take him, a wife, from there so that he can continue in polytheism, anti-theism. The only son of the covenant. And I guess I've already gotten delayed on this. Who's the only son? Not him. Jesus Christ. As we look at this, we need to slow our reading down and look for Christ. Look for the New Testament, look for the gospel. Your only son, Isaac, God's only son, Jesus, was taken. He wasn't just going to be almost killed. He was. Your only son, Isaac, laughter, the one who's given you joy and delight, whom you love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believed in him would be saved. You see, this doesn't, you can't read this until you read the New Testament. You can't get the New Testament until you got this. This is so rich. Your only son whom you love, God's only son whom he loved. Go to the land of Moriah, and it's easy to read over that one. And uh I've heard again recently some bright scholar who says we don't know where that is. Well, in second chronicles, it says <laughs> Moriah is where they were negotiating to build the temple. Isn't that interesting? This pre-sacrifice of Isaac is gonna occur. And there's another possibility, temple or Mount Calvary. You can make good arguments for both of them. Either where the ultimate sacrifice was paid on the cross or the temple where God met with his people and all this was ratified. You you know that stuff. I don't need to go into any detail. So this is looking toward the place where Christ's blood would be shed for our sin. Um Well, let's just go. Verse 3. Abraham rose early in the morning. Um, I'm not talking about anybody here, okay? Have you known anybody? It seems fairly clear what you ought to do to be in accord with the will of God. And you're challenged. You said, Well, I'll pray about that. Um, uh, I'll I'll." I'll go to the session and ask, I'll, I'll have my family pray with me. Well, I'll do it if this, and we start to set conditions and terms, and I like <laughs> this old man. What happens? He gets up and goes early in the morning, no delay. You got to do, make the prep, cut the wood, get the fire, get the guys, get the donkey, but get after it, <laughs> and that's what he did teaching us Christian obedience. There's blessing in that quick Christian obedience. took two of his young men. why? Well, in Hebrew law and the scripture, uh facts to be uh, accepted in court requires two or three witnesses, so he's got them. Uh, we'll look at uh, later other uses for the young men. He cut the wood for the burnt offering. Let's stop and think. He puts the wood on Isaac, we'll see, and he goes up the hill. Who do you know from the New Testament packed some wood up a hill? Jesus, carrying his cross, Going up, Mount Calvary, which reasonably can be argued is Mount Moriah. Why the wood for a fire? Why the fire? It's a visible picture. Your ears hear the crackling. You feel the heat. It's the picture of hell. God's wrath at our sin, his punishing for sin. It is the immolation, the complete destruction. It is a picture of hell. I hear the word hell from a lot of non-believers. <laughs> Am I the only guy here? <laughs> they use and it doesn't mean anything. They don't have a clue. It is fair to say Jesus was deadly serious when he talked about hell. This is more about hell than he does about heaven, if I'm reading the scriptures correctly. This is a picture of judgment. He is carrying that up, and it's Christ, to whom Isaac looks forward, that bears that wrath of God. Um, it's the third day, verse 4. What's significant about three days? Well, ask Jonah. Uh, what, <laughs> he spent three days in a pretty unpleasant place, right? Right? Three days. How long was Jesus in the tomb? What is he doing? He is bearing the wrath of God. And I don't want to overstate it, but I don't want to understate it. Peter tells us that Christ descended into the depths, and I probably ought to open the uh, text to it, uh, 1 Peter 3. And he preached the gospel to the departed, the dead. Bearing that wrath of God was hell, whether you want to make much or maybe make less of that. He wasn't just kind of out cold or swooned or whatever. He is bearing the wrath of God. Why is that important? <laughs> Otherwise, you and I do. We go to We eternally, not three days, but forever, bear the wrath of God at our sin. And it's pretty easy for us to be so busy we don't give that much of a thought. We just get on with doing whatever. If Christ had not died, we would be, of all men, most miserable. We would be having to pay the death penalty for sin but I'm not infinite. You're not infinite. We could not bear the infinite wrath of God. We could never satisfy God's wrath at our own sin, let alone anyone else. But he died for the sinners. What great grace that His Son would infinitely bear the infinite wrath of God. in our Verse 5 I mentioned already. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and will come again. Incredible faith. He didn't know how this was going to work. He had never seen a resurrection from the dead. In the Old Testament there are at least three that I counted. And you, you may count more where there were resurrections of the dead. They're all of them long after Abraham. He couldn't say, well, I know that the prophet was raised out of the... I I know what uh, Jesus did at Lazarus. No. He had no prior basis for any confidence in a resurrection. Who would ever heard of it? Nobody. Nobody had ever thought of it. God gave him such faith that he could imagine what he had not yet seen or heard. We will come again to you. I'm going to kill him. There has to be a resurrection in this. I hope you're seeing the gospel. I'm not taking the time to wear it out by any means. So the wood, Christ carried his cross. He took in his uh, hand the fire, the picture of not only death from the knife, but fire, the picture of hell. So that's what's happening here. They went together, Isaac, bright young man that he was says, we have a problem. Where's the lamb? Abraham says, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Again, fool with the language a little bit. God will provide himself. He himself will provide it. No, he will provide himself. The deity of Christ. He is doing it. He will provide himself. This Lamb of God. And they went both together. We talk about Abraham as a father of faithful a father of the faithful, and we should. It's scriptural and it's true and all that. What about this young guy? I've got my whole life ahead of me. I'm like in life. I'm young. You remember being young? Vigorous and strong and healthy, and life is you know, I got life by the tail. In a fair fight. He could have whipped the old man. The old man couldn't have tied him up. Couldn't have boosted him up on that altar. Christian faith goes from generation to generation to generation. Do you see yourself in this? Do you see the modern church? Yes. With our many sins and faults and all of that, we are descended. I know that you fear God. I've already spoken of that, that reflexive God. Didn't have to find out that he had faith, but Abraham had the opportunity to learn that he had faith. And again, notice how many times it says, your son, your only son. Here's this ram. It's the acceptable sacrifice. What's this all about? What does that have to do with church theology? We talk about the substitutionary atonement, and people say, that's, that sounds so obtuse. We don't talk that way in modern English. Somebody's going to die for sin. It could be you, it could be Christ. And the animal itself looks forward to Christ. There was no remission of sin without shedding of blood, but the sin itself was not satisfied by the death of a dumb animal. Otherwise, they wouldn't have repeated it. Multiple, multiple, how many millions of sheep and goats and bulls were killed to remind the people of Israel the wages of sin is death. And see, that sounds real, real clean to us. You know, range folk, we load up uh, the beef and haul it to the butcher shop, and they, they do whatever they do, and we go back and, and get, you know, 800 pounds of meat. Or you go to the grocery store and buy some lunch meat. It's real simple. We aren't faced with death. But when you butcher, you hear it. Blood stinks, by the way. You smell it. You see it. You see the death throes of the animal. And the wages of sin becomes much more clear to a farm boy after he's participated in the slaughter of some animals. That's what I deserve. That's what you're talking Oh, well, no, that isn't dead. That's bad, but the death is the eternal dying in hell. Again, the gospel here, substitutionary atonement sounds theological, but I'm glad that God substituted and offered it up as a burnt offering in the stead. He provides what we need and must have. <clears throat> And so that's one way of preaching the passage. We've looked at nouns and verbs, and looked at other portions of Scripture that describe all of what went on. Interesting to me, this is where I was expecting to preach before I found out that today is communion. The bread. Kelly, but as an ordained officer of the church, examined, sustained, supported, what is he going to say to us? Not this is the cup of my blood of the, the New Testament, the very things we've been looking at here. We're going to be reminded of why did God give us communion to be done over and over? It's a reminder. Do you get so busy you can't remember everything? I spend 25 or more percent of my time looking for things I've lost, mislaid. I can't remember. And God said, you know, that's a part of the fallenness of the human race. I'm going to remind you of what it cost. This do in remembrance of me. God is so good to us. John, were you prepared to do the pastoral? Lord God, Heavenly Father, we are your children not because we chose you or because we are so good that you wanted us. Hopeless and helpless sinners facing ill. But you chose to act. You called us to know you. You made us your children. You made us sons and daughters of God Most High and the young brothers and sisters of come to worship. We come to hear your word and think about it. We come to celebrate communion, not because it was our good ideas, but because you and your grace. Would remind us day by day, season by season, over and over again. Thank you, O Lord. As an outsider to the congregation, I pray with thanks. I don't know what the challenges have been. It's not my business. You know. I pray, O Lord, you will demonstrate yourself in that pastoral role. He binds up all their wounds and heals. The broken-hearted ones. Would you be doing that individually, perhaps corporately, whatever? Be their shepherd. Shepherd them. Wing. And we sing it to the good shepherd, not giving you instructions about how to do your work, but asking you would open our eyes to see you at work, as you work today, by that same Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for the kids here. It is exciting to see and hear. don't hear much, but hear some sounds of the kids, the young people. There may be a future to the church. Lord, there are congregations that we have in this denomination. There's never a peep. There are no kids. No kids' Sabbath school. No kids' vacation. By. No church camp for the kids. Lord, I pray you will revitalize those congregations. Bring to them young couples who know the gospel or who need the gospel, that they would come and hear it and become a part of your covenant community. Not so that we can pat ourselves on the back about our great-grandfathers, but so that we would see again living testimony to your faithfulness as you promised Abraham and Isaac and so on, and you and your descendants. Lord grant us descendants whether of our blood or those who were bought with money or who came in from the outside or ones who were formerly Egyptians but came into Israel in that same would you be bringing adults to know Christ and into the church that they might find their home here find a place of service not so the people will see them but so people will see Christ so that they can fulfill your call O oh Lord, be gracious. And if there be perhaps from the congregation, sons and daughters who have gone astray, O oh Lord, bring them. For our people, there have been hard times, real losses. But as with Abraham, the hard time, the real loss of his son with the point of the knife. You used it for blessing, To Abraham and his family and their descendants and us, thank you for your blessings. Would you pour them out in a visible way that we might see you at work and give you credit and praise and thanks. And Lord, just quickly, you send us into all creature. I thank you that you've been reviving in this small denomination a zeal for church missions, domestic and foreign. Thank you. We don't look to be praised or given any credit for it. But we're excited to see people coming to Christ and the beginnings of change in the culture. I think of China with however many millions of Christians, the culture has to change. Thank you for giving us again visible assurance that you are God, you are in control, you are blessing your people, you are building your church that we might give you the credit and the praise and thanks. Now, through Jesus Christ, your only Son...